Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. We're glad you're here this week. We've got plenty of questions saved up from past weeks that we're going to try to get answered today. We hope we get to yours if you've given us one recently. That's what we do on this program. For those of you that uh, are looking for the first time, uh, we've got a phone number and a website at the bottom of the screen, and people use those to get in touch with us and tell us what they'd like us to talk about on Know Your Bible. We uh, get a lot of questions about the Bible, specific verses, or is this really in the Bible, or I've heard this about the Bible, is that true? And we get a lot of life and family questions that uh, folks just wonder, uh, what's the Bible have to say about that? And we're happy to try to find an answer to any of those kind of questions. So you get to direct the program, so uh, give us a call or log on, give us something to work on in the weeks ahead. Uh, Toby Levering's back. Good morning, Toby. Good morning, Steve. Glad you're here and ready to go. And uh, let's start with a question for our viewers. And then we'll give them an answer at the end of the program and see if they got it right. Which bird brought food to Elijah? Which kind of bird fed Elijah when he needed food? God took care of that special kind of bird. So we'll give you an answer at the end of the program. Looks like I drew the first one today, Toby, so mm -hmm. I'll see if we can get started here. A viewer wants to know, why was Jesus baptized if baptism is for remission of sins? He had no sin. Well, that's a great question. Uh, in fact, you're not the first one that's wondered about that. The first one that wondered was John the baptizer. And Jesus went to John and said, John, I want you to baptize me. And John said exactly what you said. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> he said, no. He said, I'm not going to do that. He said, I'm, you ought to be baptizing me. You're the Son of God. I, I, can't, I can't do this. So he argued with Jesus for a while. And here's Jesus' answer, so it'll be your answer also. In Matthew chapter 3 and verse 15, Jesus replied, Let it be so now. In other words, this is the way it's going to be, John, so let's get it done. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. Okay, so there's your answer. Jesus did it to fulfill all righteousness. Now, exactly what that entails, we may not understand all of God's purposes, but I think we can figure out a few of them, uh, His plan of righteousness. Uh, first of all, Jesus was identifying Himself with sinners. Uh, he was not a sinner. He didn't sin. But you remember what was going to happen on the cross. He was going to become sin. He was going to take all of our sin, not just an individual sin, uh, but yours and mine and Toby's and, and everybody's. He was going to take all of our sins upon himself. And as that kind of sinner, uh, yes, he would certainly need to be washed clean. So he was. that was a, a forecast of a picture, a future picture of that. He identified himself with sinners. 
Uh, second thing that it might have to do is what he was picturing his death and resurrection. And that's what baptism still does, is Jesus was going to die because of sin. He was going to be buried, and then he was going to be raised because of his righteousness, because of God's crediting him with righteousness and his faith and all that. That pictures death and resurrection. And Jesus endorsed baptism in that way. Um, he demonstrated the importance of baptism. Now, there are lots of things that showed up in this, but Jesus' term for it was, we're going to fulfill all righteousness. This is God's plan. We're going to demonstrate it. I'm going to identify with sinners. I'm going to be baptized uh, to fulfill this righteousness. If part of God's plan is perhaps the best reason for it. So you're right. He didn't need to be baptized for the remission of sins, but to fulfill the whole picture and help us understand is one big part of it. Uh, he was submitted he did submit himself to baptism and even convinced John that that was the right thing to do so you're right no sin but did it to fulfill all righteousness Toby I have a question about alcohol and drug use which uh, sadly it does affect many today uh, if you're doing drugs and alcohol is that your God uh, does anything that you put before God become your God. And uh, the viewer had referenced a verse that I think he or she had read, Matthew chapter 6, 24, and wondering if that was talking about uh, this subject. So let's look at that together. No one can serve two masters, Jesus said. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. I believe the last sentence of this particular verse gives us the best understanding of what Jesus is actually talking about. The viewer's premise uh, is that alcohol and drugs can become your God. And while I agree that may be true, certainly we know uh, all of us sadly know many people who have uh, um, uh, succumbed to alcohol addiction or even drug addiction. And uh, that is a very real problem in our world. Um, in Matthew chapter 6, that's not exactly what Jesus was addressing. When you look at the context of the verse, even just one verse itself, uh, he's talking about uh, materialism, a greed that gets up in your heart, and then how that eventually leads to worrying about all that stuff. And Jesus is... Uh, uh, Tell, telling his disciples, don't worry about that stuff. Uh, you let your treasure be in heaven, and uh, you, you trust God for the stuff here on earth, and he's going to take care of you like he takes care of the birds of the air and the grass of the field. Uh, so if you want to read the whole uh, chapter, we'll give you a better understanding of Matthew chapter 6. But uh, to relate to the specific uh, issue at hand, alcohol and drugs can easily master you. have had questions on this program many times before of people who ask, well, you know, what's, what's really the harm in it? And the problem becomes an issue of self-control. Uh, that those things uh, that's why uh, drugs you know are regulated so heavily you have to get a prescription for a lot of them because if you if you take too much of them I mean something that can actually help you you take it in the wrong way or at the too much or at the wrong time uh, you can actually hurt or kill yourself um, same with alcohol um, so it, it's it's got to be uh, uh, something that we understand that there's a danger there and we have to be uh, very careful um, a God or an idol can really be anything that you let rule your life. If you're, if you're making all of your life decisions based on that thing or based on that want or desire, then yeah, it probably does become sort of an idol in your life. So it's good for all of us to have a heart check. <laughs> 
uh, now and again to look at the idols in our lives and tear those down and make sure we don't have any. Uh, if you let it master you, then you are a slave to it. And that's what Paul said in Romans chapter 6, verse 16. Let's look at this together and read it. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. So uh, certainly danger there. You want to make sure you're serving God first above all things. And, and uh, if you've got something that's taking control of you, uh, find a good Christian counselor, uh, find a, a CR group, and, and get some help today. All righty. Thank you, Toby. Good answer. Let's talk about uh, eating and drinking. Viewer wants to know, are Christians limited as to what they can eat and drink? Well, let me give you two answers to that. My first answer is absolutely not uh, limited religiously. As a religious dictate, as a rule from God, no, we are definitely not limited. And let me give you a verse to prove that. Uh, in the Old Testament they were. There were certain foods and things they couldn't eat. But in the New Testament, Paul says in Colossians 2.16, Therefore, because we're under the new law, therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink. Now he's talking about religiously. He's talking about uh, thinking it's from God that I can't eat this food or can't eat that food. He said don't let anybody judge you about that because all food is good if taken with thankfulness. So I said I'd give you two answers. That's my first answer is we're not limited at all religiously. But my second answer would be that we are not limited directly by some religious law. But some principles that Christians have to follow might limit you in what you eat or drink. Uh, I think the first one is influence. We are supposed to take care of our influence and be aware of it. If eating or drinking something would cause somebody else to stumble, uh, we shouldn't eat or drink it. We're limited by that. In fact, Paul said that directly. He said, if what I eat would bother somebody else, make them stumble, uh, question their Christianities, I won't eat it. He said, I know I can, but I won't. So he was limited by his influence. Uh, second is health. Uh, we're told that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We ought to take care of them. And I know most everybody's a little bit overweight and all of that. And you're going to have to decide for yourself what's holy and what's not. Uh, but we can eat and drink to the detriment of our bodies. And we ought to be careful about that. Third one I picked was stewardship. Uh, how we're spending our money and are we spending it the best way and taking care of what God has given us. Uh, there are some foods and drinks that are ridiculously expensive. Uh, the high muckety-mucks specialize in uh, a slice of beef or special sushi or something that costs $1,000 an ounce. Uh, I'm not sure if that's good stewardship. I, I don't think Christians ought to be... Uh, but I know it's a personal opinion, and I guess if you got millions, maybe it's no different. But, boy, I'd sure think about it before I wasted that much money on one bite of food. So be a good steward, take care of your health, and watch your influence. Uh, that's how we're limited in what we can eat and drink, I think. But no religious rules, nothing that God has told us, can't eat that, please eat that. So. I think that's uh, the eating answer. <laughs> All right, let's talk. After done with the diet advice, let's talk about a good way to uh, feed yourself spiritually, and that's with some study of the Bible. We've got some free Bible study materials that will help you 
learn your Bible, know your Bible a little bit better. And in one sense, it does kind of relate to a diet. Uh, there's lots of different ways to study the Bible. Uh, all of them work if you stick with them. Uh, reading the Bible straight through is a way to learn the Bible, but it's kind of hard to stick with it. Uh, this method that we have, a number of different courses uh, that is lined out for you. You study a prescribed lesson and you read a little bit of the Bible that it tells you to. You answer some questions to give yourself some accountability and feedback. And uh, you, you'll learn a lot about the Bible. This first course starts with the Old Testament and the New Testament. You see those two lessons there. And uh, that's the basics. You start right there. What are these two halves of my Bible? And you learn that, and then you go on to more advanced things. So, a good way to study the Bible. Thousands of people have taken us up on it over the years. And like I said, it's absolutely free. We even pay the postage. So, use that phone number or website to get in touch with us. We'll get one started for you right away. We think you'll enjoy it, and we think you'll learn a whole lot of Bible. All right, Toby, you got the polygamy question. <laughs> yes. The question is, what does the Bible say about polygamy? Well, the Bible says that God's plan has always been monogamy. Uh, that is one man and one woman for one lifetime. Now, uh, that was God's original plan. That's what uh, Jesus uh, repeated uh, several, uh, many centuries later. And that's always been God's plan. Throughout the Bible narrative, you will read many stories of where mankind deviated from the plan. Uh, with polygamy, with adultery, with divorce, uh, even cases of incest and all of those things. And some people might mistakenly read through that narrative and say, well, God must be okay with it. If you understand the Bible, you need to understand it's a very honest book. It's very honest, very truthful about what God expects. It's very honest and truthful about how far man has deviated from what God's standard has always been. But make no mistake about it, God's plan, God's standard has always been a monogamy. His desire is that a man and a woman uh, be together physically, emotionally, uh, spiritually in the covenant, in the union of marriage. The two shall become one flesh. Uh, that has never changed in God's eyes, although human beings have tried to change it lots. So when we understand what, what the expectation is, we understand that uh, polygamy is not part of God's standard or God's plan. Though many characters had engaged in it, uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Solomon, uh, there's a whole list of people who uh, engaged in that practice of polygamy, uh, but God never himself condoned it. Um, and so as we understand that, we just need to understand the Bible gives us the full picture, the good, <laughs> the bad, and the really ugly uh, side of, of, of sin. So uh, polygamy is never a practice that God approves or <clears throat> condones. Uh, let's look at Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 and 5. This is where Jesus again reiterated this idea. Haven't you read, Jesus replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. That's God's plan, and it's the best plan, uh, no matter how you look at it. Okay, thank you, Toby. Uh, interesting question. Can a preacher become an apostle? Well, being an old English student, I'll focus on the can. Uh, can a preacher become an apostle? Well, yeah, a preacher can call himself an apostle. Uh, the movie, The Apostle, kind of interesting movie, Robert De Niro, he 
decided he was going to be an apostle. So he called himself that. If I remember right, I think he baptized himself too. He just went down the river and ducked down and said he was baptized and then decided to call himself an apostle. So, yes, a preacher can do that. Uh, I've seen it on church signs. I've seen the, the name of the church and the service times and all that out by the street and then uh, listed some names at the bottom of the preacher and things and they were called apostle so-and-so. So, uh, a viewer can, or I mean a preacher can become an apostle, but if you're asking by the Bible, is that possible? Uh, no, the Bible has a different uh, requirement to be an apostle. In fact, it's a very strict requirement, uh, and it's out of date, so we can't do it anymore. But in the first century, Jesus picked 12, and then, of course, Judas betrayed him, so they needed another one. And as they were picking, they listed the rules for picking the 13th apostle. And that's in Acts chapter 1, verse 21. Let's look at that on the screen. And Peter said, let's choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So, had to be somebody that was there when John was baptizing, very early in Jesus' ministry, knew Jesus all through those couple of years, then saw Jesus crucified and saw him resurrected. Um, now, if a preacher today meets those qualifications, he's really, really old, uh, but there is nobody like that. So, to meet the real qualifications, no. Preacher cannot be an apostle today. Uh, can be a messenger, can be uh, a, a servant, can be a lot of things, but he can't be an apostle in the sense that the Bible uses that word. All right, let's uh, take a moment to talk about uh, who keeps us on the air and thank somebody for providing this program for you. We are sponsored by the Churches of Christ in our viewing areas, and we have so many that help us. We like to mention one or two each week. Uh, today, let me introduce you to the Great Bend Church of Christ. If you live out in the neighborhood of Great Bend, a uh, great bunch of folks there in the Great Bend meet on 1122 Stone Street at 9 in the morning they study the Bible in class and at 9.50 they worship together. And Brother Chuck Marshall's the minister there. I know you'd enjoy hearing him uh, speak the Word of God. Uh, drop in and visit them sometime. Um, maybe you know somebody that attends the Great Bend Church of Christ. Tell them you were watching Know Your Bible the other day and you saw them advertised on it and you want to thank them for keeping the program on the air. Of course, wherever you live in the market area, uh, there's probably a Church of Christ near you. If you're looking for a church home, drop into one of them. You'll find uh, people that welcome you warmly and think and study about the Bible a lot like we do on this program. Uh, so support a Church of Christ in your area. All right, Brother Toby, what's A distinctive your question. question. Uh, the ask, they asked this question, what is the difference between prayer and worship? Well, prayer is our communication toward God, and of course we can do that individually or collectively, and worship is our praise and adoration of God, and we can also do that individually or collectively. Um, and so they're both very distinct acts, uh, but they can overlap. Um, in my opinion, uh, worship, collective worship doesn't happen without uh, lifting up prayers. That was 
commanded by God, and that was the example given in the early church, uh, that when the church comes together to worship, a key part of that is communication, uh, not just about God, but toward God. So that's a crucial part of our worship. And of course, you can have prayer that's very worshipful. Uh, we call that praises and adoration, uh, time of prayer where you just simply praise God for, you don't ask him for anything, you don't, you don't uh, talk about yourself or other people, you just praise God for his presence and for who he is. So you can have uh, some overlap in both kinds, and both are uh, par an essential part of Christian growth and maturity. So make sure you're doing both. Uh, let's look at uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. This is what Paul said to the young Timothy. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior. So we know that uh, we need both prayer and worship as part of our uh, spiritual health. All righty. Question about <coughs> salvation here. Viewers figured out that... Jesus wasn't born in the time of Moses. So how were people saved in those days? Well, Jesus does say He's the only way to salvation. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. So viewers read that and said, well, hold it now. <laughs> he wasn't around in the Old Testament. So how did anybody get saved back then? Well, it was the Old Testament. It was the old agreement between God and man. And when Jesus came, there was a new one. So you're correct. You're thinking right. Uh, under the Old Testament, it was a little bit different plan. They didn't know who Jesus was. And the plan back then was strictly faith. Uh, the complete understanding of faith is to trust in God uh, so much that you do whatever He says, if you really trust in Him. So in the Old Testament, God told people to do certain things. He specifically uh, told certain men to do certain things. And if they trusted Him, if they obeyed, then that was counted as righteousness. Let's do one example here so you understand. Abraham was a successful man. He was living in the uh, land of Ur and just doing fine. And Jehovah appeared to him and said, Abram, I want you to move. Oh, and that's all he told him. He said, just move, and when you get there, I'll tell you. Now, that takes a lot of trust to pack up your whole family, leave the land of Ur, and go to a promised land that you don't even know where it is. You've got to trust God to do that. So, Abram did it. Now, in Romans chapter 4, 3, here's what Paul says about it. What does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. How did he get saved? How did he get counted righteous? He believed God. And then if you go to Hebrews chapter 11, the Hall of Faith, you'll find a whole list of people that were credited with righteousness because of their faith. And there's always two parts to it. It'll say, for instance, Abram's story in there. It will say Abram believed he trusted God because... He left the land of Ur, and he went to a land that he didn't know where he was going. So obedience always shows what trust there is in God. So the Old Testament, people were told to do things by God, uh, given the laws, etc. If they trusted him and did what he said, 
it was credited to them as righteousness. Now I think in the great big picture, the blood of Christ was what truly saved them and took away those sins uh, retroactively, which God can take care of in His, in His uh, omnipotence, but we won't need to go into that. Because of their faith, it was credited to them as righteousness. Under Jesus Christ, it's the same thing. We trust Him, and if we obey what He says, if we do what He says, it'll be credited to us as righteousness. So, same method, just a little bit different in the Testaments. Okay. Uh, I have a, a question almost uh, along those lines as well. They, a viewer like, would like to know, what new covenant was Jesus talking about on the Passover? Uh, well, this comes from Luke chapter 22, verse 20. Uh, let's look at this on the screen where Jesus is <clears throat> partaking of Passover. And it says, Luke records, in the same way, after the supper... He took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And I'm sure as they were partaking, you know, the apostles, Jewish men, they had been used to taking the Passover all their lives. And Jesus is taking the cup and he says, This covenant is the new covenant. And they probably are looking around at each other thinking, What, what did he just say? Uh, this is my blood uh, poured out for you. Uh, he was not only celebrating part of an ancient uh, uh, holiday religious festival reminding them how God had delivered them but he was establishing and reminding them that God was going to do something new and he was going to deliver them in an, in the very same way but not just from the bondage of uh, Egypt but from the captivity of sin uh, that not just enslaved the nation of Israel but all men and it's a beautiful picture that Jesus had. And indeed, he did celebrate a new covenant, a better covenant, uh, one that came not by keeping the law, but one by, that came by faith in him. Uh, this is, uh, the Hebrew writer will call this a much better uh, arrangement. There is one sacrifice, not many sacrifices. There's one high priest, not a multitude of high priests. There's one mediator between God and man. Jesus the Christ. And so it, there, is, there is grace instead of law, and there is faith instead of rule-keeping. Uh, Christians today, when we uh, are come into the covenant of Christ, we are under the new covenant. And that's very important. You might hear the phrase uh, New Testament Christian. And what that simply means is you're a believer in Jesus Christ, and you're under a new covenant. You're not constrained by the rules and, and by the law that stood against us. You don't have to keep all of those 100% because Jesus did. It's a, a much better covenant, and I'm so glad that Jesus did establish it. If you, if you want to understand more about that, I really want to encourage you to read Hebrews chapter 8 through 12. Uh, but we don't have time to do that here. We'll just read a couple of verses from Hebrews chapter 8 uh, here for verses 6 and 7. In fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one. Since the new covenant is established on better promises, for if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. Uh, we live under a new covenant and a better covenant that Jesus established after his death and resurrection. All righty. Thank you, Toby, for your good answers today. And thank you, viewers, for your good questions today. And we'll get to more of them next week. But we've got one about uh, trivia today. Uh, which bird brought food to Elijah? And that bird was a raven. God used the raven to feed Elijah when he was in need. And um, hope you and your family got that one right. We're out of time for questions, but we're going to be back next week 
uh, covering some more of them, and we hope we get to yours then. If you haven't, if you got a question raised, call it in today or log on and give it to us. We're glad you've been with us. We'll see you next week. Till then, we hope you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.